Hi, I'm Gertrude Keesley, and this is Kingdom Consciousness. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come, Matthews 24, 14. Before Jesus returns to set up his kingdom in its final form, the gospel of the kingdom must be extended throughout the nations of the world. In order to preach the gospel of the kingdom, we as kingdom citizens must understand the kingdom of God. Before we can become custodian to the keys of the kingdom, we must first experience kingdom living. In the past, much emphasis has been placed on the life and ministry of the king of the kingdom jesus christ and rightly so but not enough emphasis has been given to the gospel of the kingdom jesus told the religious leaders of his time ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for ye neither go in yourselves neither suffer them that are entering to go in matthew 23 13. It was this gospel of the kingdom that was the central purpose of Christ's life. He began his earthly ministry by declaring the arrival of the kingdom. That's, you can find that in Matthew 4.17. He ended his earthly ministry by speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom, Acts 1 and 3. In between the beginning and ending of his earthly ministry, the emphasis was on the kingdom. Luke 4.43 says, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore I am sent. The kingdom of God was the greatest concern of Jesus. His teachings and parables focused on the kingdom. His miracles were a demonstration of the kingdom of God in action. The phrases kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are used over a hundred times in the books of Matthews, Mark, Luke, and John. We will explore the distinctions between these two. We are told to seek first the kingdom, to pray for it and to preach it. We are told how to enter the kingdom and taught that residency in it requires a new lifestyle. God is equipping his citizens to become kingdom minded so that we can understand the business of the kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the king. Everything about us is royalty, but we must first adopt the mind of Christ in order to understand what that actually means. We cannot have a poverty mindset and expect to grasp the reality of how much God desires for us to prosper. But there is a greater purpose than just understanding kingdom principles. Citizens must go beyond mere knowledge of the kingdom 
to actually experience it and make it the central purpose of our living. So I invite you to come and go with me as we explore this most exciting, interesting, and eye-opening subject. Good afternoon, this is Gertrude Peasley continuing with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Last week we explained and went into some deep revelation as far as the part of this scripture, righteousness, and we began, almost completed the, the area of peace. We mentioned that the peace that we're talking about is a state of mind where there is a conscious yielding of everything that God claims. The mind is settled to do or to do everything that God is telling him to do. It's like a deep flow of a river. It's a calm, deep flow of feeling and it's in conscious harmony with God's state of mind. It's so remarkable because you are, you are conscious and your mind is not lying still. It's not dormant, but it seems to be flowing like a deep current of the mind. And it, everything is flowing in one direction. It's like a river. There is no conflicting of different currents where some are flowing, some things are flowing one way and some flowing in the other direction. Everything is flowing at peace. Everything is flowing in the same direction. Now, this piece always implies and includes a state of mind that's opposite of condemnation and remorse. In other words, we are conscious of our being accepted, for example, not only of our being at peace with God, but that he is at peace with us a state of forgiveness, of being restored to favor, of being on good terms with God through his grace is always involved in the peace that we're talking about. It's the opposite of all unbelieving carefulness and anxiety that could corrode or fret or distress the mind. When the kingdom of God is set up in the soul, not only is it true that God's whole will is accepted. But the soul has such confidence in God. It has such spirituality in regard to receiving God in his universal providence that recognizing God in all the movements of his providence, that unbelieving carefulness and corroding anxiety that so much disturbed this world, that's all shut out, shut out from the mind where the kingdom of God is set in. Peace is there. And so that's how we end with peace. Everything is flowing in the same direction. There's nothing there to disturb the mind. Everything that would come to disturb the mind is shut out because the mind is focused on God and the kingdom of God is set in. The third part of this scripture that we're talking about is joy in the Holy Ghost. Joy, joy in the Holy Ghost, amen.
Now, this is not just a joy rising out of the supposition that we are saved. No, it's not. It's the joy in the Holy Ghost. From the union of the Spirit with God's Spirit, God's joy is really reproduced in us. Christ said to his disciples, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Amen. Joy or rejoicing in God is always an element of this kingdom of God in the soul. In this kingdom, we're talking about God's joy and righteousness and peace is so imparted to us by the Holy Ghost that we're really conscious not only of being partakers of his holiness and of his divine nature, but we're conscious also of drinking of the river of God's own pleasure or joy, where righteousness and peace are, spiritual joy or joy in God will definitely be. The joy that we're talking about is a rejoicing in God himself. It's not rejoicing in ourselves oh, because we are good or that we are saved or that we are going to heaven. God is the direct object in which we rejoice. He's the direct object of our joy. The contemplation of God, communion with God, fills the soul with unspeakable joy. And there is in the soul of us, the Christian, a deep joy abiding even in the middle of trials that we encounter in life. We have always in God the same reason for rejoicing in him. He's always the same glorious, loving, infinite object of joy. The mind that is in harmony with his will can't help but enjoy his peace and rejoice in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Spiritual joy always will be where the spirit is. Spiritually, we're talking spiritually now, consistent in a cordial embracing of God's whole character, his will, and his way. Joy has to always be there. And even, as I said, in the midst of sorrows, there will be a deep spiritual joy. In the midst of trials, in the midst of temptations, in the midst of persecution, and even in the foes of death, there is joy. We're talking about joy in God. We're not talking about happiness. We're talking about joy. The mind that's devoted to God can't be deprived of spiritual joy because it springs up in the very exercise of love and faith and gratitude, joy. It's the natural and certain result of a truly spiritual state of mind, state of mind. So taking all of this that we've talked about, righteousness, peace, and joy into consideration, it must be a matter of consciousness. Because if we are not conscious of what we have, how important is it going to be to us at any rate? 
If we don't know whether we have it or not, surely it can't be worth having so far as we're concerned. But the fact is, if we can be conscious of any one thing, we can and must be conscious of the kingdom of God that's existing in us. Have to be conscious of that. It also must be a matter of observation in the sense that the kingdom of God within us must reveal itself outwardly in our lives, in our temper, in our spirit, in business transactions, in social and domestic relations, in public relations, in every relation in life. If the kingdom of God is within us, we are upright men and women. We are benevolent. We are devoted to the service of God and to the interests of mankind. In business, we are equitable, can you speak? In politics, we are honest and honorable in every relation because we are Christians. That's very different. And this account is very different of the life of Jesus from the experience narrated in the seventh chapter of Romans. In in that chapter, we find the kingdom of God is not set up at that time, but it's striving to get possession of the heart because that's where the kingdom is in man's heart. The eighth chapter of Romans portrays an experience in which the kingdom of God is set up in the heart now in which the righteousness of God is fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. How different, how different is this account of the kingdom of God in consciousness from the peaceless religion of a great many people? Those people have no peace of mind. They are restless. They are complaining and murmuring and resisting and are in constant state of turmoil and agitation in regards to their relation to God. They know that they have no peace of mind. They know that God's whole will is not cordially accepted by them. They know that they are living in the neglect of known duty. They know that they are shunning the cross daily. They know that they are not universally devoted to God. They know that they are not devoted to the interests of mankind. So peace is impossible to them. And they are aware that they don't have peace of mind. And yet they think that they're Christians. But the kingdom of God is not within them, for Christ does not reign in their hearts, and they are in no sense prepared for heaven. So if the kingdom of God is not within them, why should they call themselves Christians? Yet they do. Let no one then pretend to fall back upon Christ who does not suffer Christ to reign in his heart. Amen. They know that they are living in the daily indulgence of sin, that they, don't, they shun the cross, 
They always have done so. They never make a clean breast of confession or wash their hands by restitution. In short, they have never become personally upright, honest, holy, and yet they think they're going to be they're going to be saved by Christ. They say we have believed and therefore we are forgiven and accepted. They think that by one act of faith, they come into a state of perpetual justification. That sounds crazy. If in this state they have any joy, it will be rejoicing in themselves in their own supposed safety and not in God. A joyless religion is a very repulsive religion. God bless you. We will speak some more on this next week. Have a great day.